Amen. So um, you'll recall they've had this difficulty that has actually been gone ongoing for some time regarding the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Uh, Aaron had actually joined in a rebellion with his sister Miriam, Moses being their brother. They had risen up. Miriam seems to be the one who was the focus of that rebellion because she is also the one who is struck by the Lord with punishment. She receives the uh, leprosy, uh, move into the rebellion of Korah. We just passed through, and there again, there's a group that has begun to grumble and complain against the leadership of Moses, and they've risen up to try to take over. Long and short is the Lord opens the ground up underneath them, and they are consumed uh, to rid the nation of Israel from this division and this rebellion that is going on. And now in chapter 17, the Lord has already answered this, but he's going to do it in a visual way that uh, it will stop the arguments about who is actually in control and who is supposed to be the leadership. So number 17, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. This is like a walking stick or it's actually a symbol of their history, their, their nation's history as shepherds and the way that the spiritual leadership of nation uh, looks at themselves as shepherding the, the entire congregation of Israel. So this, this idea of shepherding the people as God's sheep and God's flock is ingrained in the idea that the elder men have rods, staves. Uh, cane that they walk with. It's a symbol of their age, their authority, their seniority, and their guidance as spiritual shepherds. So gather the rods, uh, write each man's name on his rod so you know which rod belongs to who. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. He's from the tribe of Levi, so he will represent them. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house when you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where i meet with you and it shall be that the rod of the man whom i choose will blossom thus i will rid myself of the complaints of the children of israel which they make against you so these walking staves these rods that we're talking about they're very old you know they they would be kept often throughout a man's lifetime uh, so it would become known what rod belonged to who. More significantly, this isn't something that was just cut down today or very recently. It's been a symbol of their personage and their tribe for some time. Now that symbol is going to be brought forward. So dead bone wood, dried right out, handled with their hands for years. It's not going to yield life. It's not going to bring forth the almond blossoms we're about to see. That's a miraculous thing that is taking place here. God is demonstrating who he's placed his life and his leadership in. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of the leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's house. Twelve rods, twelve rods of Aaron was and Aaron's was among their rods. Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So 
the temple being divided into the holy place and the most holy place, the idea of this being you know, directly in front of these 12 rods being directly in front of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the tabernacle of witness. The uh, witness that's being spoken of are the items that are in the Ark of the Covenant which bear testimony to the work of the Lord amongst the nation of Israel. You, you have uh, currently the Ten Commandments that are in there, and above anything else at this point, that's speaking of their relationship with God, who gave those commandments directly to Moses. So I want you to place these rods before what? The Word of God, essentially. So, so think about this. Uh, the thing that's going to bring life to these rods placed before the Lord is going to be the Word of God. It's either going to keep them dead, keep them stagnant, keep them in the place they are, or provide life to this one. It came to pass in the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron, the house of Levi, had sprouted and put pour forth Buds had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. So it's, you know, uh, spring, summer, fall, and harvest is all right here on this same rod, right? The full cycle of life for this thing all the way to the fruitfulness of almonds is there. You know, you cut down a branch that's right in budding period of time and, you know, if it gets some moisture and some warmth for the next day or so, you may see some life even into the blossoms. You know, there's a, a process that foresters use of cutting trees down whole and leaving the foliage on them. And they go through a cycle as it draws the rest of the moisture out of the tree. And uh, it wilts the tree. So you get hardwood, you get dry wood, a little quicker when you allow it to wilt the life out of the tree. But we're not talking about anything like that, right? And this, the skeptics always do that. Oh, well, sure, this could happen under these. This is a miracle, right? His long since dead staff, piece of wood, has just sprung back to life all the way to the point of yielding almonds. Now, within this, there is a profound picture for us each in this room individually, right? Jesus Christ, John chapter 15, tells us he's the vine, we're the branches. You know, a staff is a branch, something that's been cut off that you would walk with. You read through John 15 and you hear Jesus saying, if you want life, you have to abide in me. And we all go, amen. But then you have to read the terror of if you do not abide in Christ, you will wilt, you will be cut off, and you will be thrown into the fire. None of us wants that road, that path, that message, that sermon. We want the life. If you find yourself separated from Christ, if you find yourself dead and dry, if you find yourself in a place without this life, the answer is, you need to lay yourself before the Ark of the Testimony, before the Word of God. And you, let the, you need to let the Word of God do its work. 
If you're going to sit here right now and tell me I've been dead for years, I've been trying, I've been trying to gain this life you're talking about, I can't seem to get there, it doesn't seem to come to me, why am I always, well, if you look at what you're saying, I is the center of a lot of what you're saying. I can't do it, I can't get it, I can't get there, right, that was in the answer all along the way. You can't do any of it. You need to submissively lay yourself down before the ark of the Lord, the testimony of his word, and let it have its will in your life. You need to come back to that being fastened together with him. Right? You, you know where I'm headed with this sermon, and you've been here for years. The trees are changing their leaves right now, dramatically. Every one of those leaves is changing its color because it's been cut off from the tree already. In the cold, it develops a layer of cork right at the stem of the leaf base. So the leaf is attached to the tree, but it's actually attached to that layer of cork. It's not getting any life from the tree, and it's not giving any life back to the tree. So it uses up the remaining chlorophyll that's in the leaf. Its last breath of life, it draws it in from the leaf itself. The tree's not providing it with anything. And the color that we see is its true color all the time. That color is there all the time. It's flooded out by the chlorophyll. If Christ is the tree, if Christ is the vine, and we're the branch, we're the leaf, when we become detached from him, even in an invisible, subtle way, his life immediately begins to fade from our presence and our appearance. And maybe people have even said to you, now I can see your true colors. The life of Christ gone, your personality returns. The barrier which has separated you from Christ must be removed. You have to be reattached. You have to be revitalized. It's got to start flowing back into your life. If it's not flowing back into your life, then death is all that is out ahead of you. Here we hear that verse, right? Those that wait upon the Lord will mount upon wings of eagle, right? They'll run and not be weary. And again, many of us have gone through that process of why I've been doing everything I thought that I should be done. Why am I worn out? Why am I burned out? Why is this all here? The word wait upon the Lord means to be interwoven with him. It doesn't mean to sit on the bus stop in sheer boredom and just wait for Jesus Christ to show up. It doesn't have anything to do with us waiting on the Lord like a waiter and working our butts off in order to be approved by him and accepted by him. We're not waiting on him in that way. It must be that we are completely wrapped into him. That, that our lives, like the branch, is attached to Christ and will receive life. You're reading about Aaron's life and his leadership here. That's not going to happen without Christ working. This man is just going to be another Israelite, another human being. It is the submission to Christ that brings these things. So, came to pass the next day, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. Behold, the rod of Aaron, the house of Levi, had sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms, yielded ripe almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his rod.
And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. Notice that? That's how he classifies them. They're rebels. He doesn't classify them as insightful people within his church that had good points that needed to be listened to, and if only there had been a congregational meeting of... He says, uh, Moses is a leader, Aaron's a priest, and these guys are all rebels. Summarizes them. The reason I strain on that verse is not because I think you're rebels. It's because I know I'm one. There's a thing in our heart that doesn't like to submit to leadership. And we are quick to insert our own thoughts and insights in what we perceive to be wisdom. Great. Still not the leader. Christ is a leader and Christ appoints his leader. And that's how the church should be constructed. So much damage. How many times have through this process have we taken this and looked at the church? And as I mentioned certain things, you're all sitting out there going, mm, yeah, because you've experienced it. You've seen what the church does to itself. All through what? Rebellion here. That you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. That is a tremendous statement in all of the scripture, one that I point out very frequently as we're studying through the books written by Moses. We hear over and over again, thus Moses did according to what the Lord had said. And Moses did according to what the Lord had said. And so Moses did what the Lord had said. You hear it over and over and over again. That this man, number one, listens very carefully for the voice of the Lord and what the Lord is calling him to do and what the Lord's calling him to say and what the Lord's calling him to be. And Moses does it. Therein is the key to this man's leadership is the fact that he is so obedient to the Lord, right? We all know Moses got problems, got problems with his anger, right? Going to strike the rock rather than speak to it. He's as human as the next. But the thing that the Lord uses to exalt him as a leader is the fact that the Lord says it and then Moses does it. He's a man of obedience. There's something to think about in our own lives. Thus did Moses just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 12. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. This is, you know, apparently the elementary school class that they're dealing with. Just the drama of you know any of us that have raised teenagers and the flip out the cup just because I'm going to die if I, <clears throat> it's not the end of your life God is now firmly firmly establishing the way things should be and the tabernacle belongs to the priesthood and they're the ones that serve and you guys serve them in the articles of construction and moving and preparing sacrifices and incense and all that you've been given to to duties, but there's a particular group of people I want to come close to me and hear from me. Now that isn't something that we can then lift up and place on the New Testament church cleanly. Because the whole point here of the separation is to demonstrate the Godhead, right? Jesus Christ is our high priest. Sits in the symbol uh, 
worldly fashion of Moses and Aaron. He has those roles embodied within him. And his temple, at Jesus Christ's death, the point of separation, which kept the people away from God, the, the, the veil in the tabernacle was torn from top to bottom. Now, the thought that that would be torn, there are various descriptions in the scripture, but uh, from the ancient writings, it would appear that at the time of Jesus Christ's death, that that was one singular woven piece of fabric that was fastened with huge eyelet woven hooks at the top over a massive beam and the curtain, the screen that separated the Ark of the Covenant, which is behind it from the holy place where the priest, well, that was 18 inches thick. That's, you're not going to just like imagine, right? All of you guys working in construction and fishermen having a sling, right? That you're going to like, I don't know, pick up a boat with. <laughs> That's 18 inches thick. This is one solid piece of woven fabric. It's a wall, an impenetrable wall. That you're not gonna, and it symbolizes sin. The fact that you can't get through to the presence of God. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross, that's ripped, torn, separated, destroyed from top to bottom. There were witnesses to it being torn top to bottom. The horrendous sound is what first caught their attention. That's going to take a lot of tension <laughs> to break that. All of the sin that would separate humanity from God torn out of the way by Jesus Christ's death. Point is, you have the same access to God that the high priest had, that Moses had, that Aaron had. You can hear, you can hear personally, directly from the Lord. Pray. Read the word. See if he doesn't speak to your heart. Let him guide you. So many people will say to me as we talk about the scripture, trying to convince them of the faith, and they'll say, yeah, the Bible, I read that. You know, like it's a novel. You can just read it one time. You know, it's easy as you begin to discuss with them. You know, the Bible, very often, they lose grip with the fact that they said they, they read the Bible and they'll start saying things like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Interesting, you've never heard it before. It's in the Bible and you read the Bible, you know. Not to mock them. The indication is there's more than just the single pass read there. You don't just get to get the book one time, start at Genesis, go to Revelation, say, that really was confusing. I don't think I want anything to do with that. Right? Imagine if you sat down, let's do it this way. All right? Whatever grade level you test in at, you're going to go to college and study math. You've never been at this level of math before, and they just hand you a textbook, and you start on page one, and you read to the end. Did you get everything that's in the book? You certainly did not, did you, right? Because there's a whole bunch of processes along the way that test you out on this knowledge. And guess what? So it is with our life. You're going to read that particular passage and you're going to think, I don't get that. I don't like that. In time, as you're tested through that passage, what you'll discover is that's a lot easier to take. And, oh, wow, I really enjoy the benefits of that. Over time, the word changes us, right? 
You know, some of us approach the test book as though, you know what, I'm just going to cut this section out and this one out and this one. No, you weren't that person that took tests that way? A, B, C, D, A, B, C, A, B, C, D, C, B, A, D, C, B, A. You didn't do that? That I brought the whole nation's test scoring down by many points. You know what I'm saying? Just do not care about any of that. Testing is going to prove out your knowledge. It, lying your rod, your life, the symbol of your personage before the testimony of God, that's free access all the way into the presence of God. New Testament application, you have access to the presence of God. Open book test, right? Teacher's assistant, raise your hand anywhere along the way. The answers are available for us. There's no, there's no reason for any of us to be dried up and dead and worn out and old bags of bones or sticks or however we want to classify this. Christ can breathe life into your life. Beautiful pictures of it all throughout the scripture. Men who surrendered their lives to the Lord and were used by him. Oh, we're all going to die. No, you're not going to die. God has now established how you're going to worship and how that's going to lead to life in your midst. Turn the page to chapter 18. Look at verse 1 with me. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Iniquity commonly associated with sin. Yes, okay, you're going to bear the sin. They are going to be responsible for all of the offerings that come in that they will perform for the people, so they bear that iniquity. They also bear the iniquity of they have to perform their roles as priests according to what the Lord has laid out in the scripture, or they will be in iniquity, sin, not following the Lord's mark. Sin, let's, let's do that, right? Because very often we think of sin in those various degrees like we do in the human sense. Whether you're aware of it or not, most of us, you can examine your own heart later, have an attitude, whether we're walking around with all the time, I'm better than you. We don't think that about ourselves, but right, you just have to read one news article about some horrendous person that you can't stand. Maybe you didn't even know they existed moments before you opened up the paper, and now you're reading it there, and they're terrible, and your heart says something along the lines of, well, at least I'm not as terrible as that person. You're true. You're not. But sin comes from that old English term which simply means to miss the mark they archers would have contests and there would be a tall pole and they would put a hoop at the top of the hole and they would shoot at the hoop and if you missed it you had sinned that's simply what it meant you missed the mark you sinned you were supposed to go through the hole it was, if you went dead center through didn't mean much right if you shot it and just glanced aside and it ricocheted through, but it still went through, everybody was like, nice job. You made the shot. It's when you whistled past it on the outside that they were like, you've sinned. And they don't care if you go by 12 feet off the mark or if it hits and refracts out to the outside. You've sinned. The clearly defined target 
is in your vision and your goal, and you missed it. These priests have a very clearly defined role. They're going to bear the sins of the people and make sacrifice for them. They also bear the iniquity of the job that they are performing in the midst of what the Lord has called for worship. Grave responsibility that they are being assigned here. You shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, you and your sons with you, shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. You also uh, also bring with you and your brethren, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve with you, and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of meeting. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die. And God is very serious about that. This role in this priesthood belongs to a specific group of people, no one else. They and you shall also, they shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you, and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary, the duties of the altar, that they may be, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you. Notice that. They're a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood, I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. God puts the warning in place that says trying to reach into the priesthood when you haven't been anointed as a priest is a death sentence. A lot of people have a hard time with that. But again, it goes back to the rebellion of our heart. God gets to define these things because he's the creator of these things. You, you don't get to insert your wishes and your commands and your whining and your crying upon it. God has designed it, and this is the way that it's going to be. So it is, and so it should be. I mean, you know, if I show up at your house tomorrow and I'm a guest and I get there before you do and I go in and I just decide your house is not decorated the way that I like. And I rip it all apart and put things where I want to and do whatever I want to in your house. You're going to come home and you're going to be mad, and rightfully so. Because that's your house, and you define how that house is run, and you define where the things belong. All of creation belongs to God. So he gets to say the way things are going to be, and how the punishment is going to be doled out. And again, it goes back to our rebellious heart doesn't like that. We, we have it in our head. The, the root of this, you guys, the rebellion goes all the way back to Lucifer. What does he say, right? I'll exalt myself above your throne. You just really need to spend time periodically in your life meditating and dwelling upon how arrogant that is. How unspeakably arrogant it is of this created being to say to the one who had created him, I'll be greater than you someday. And you can hear echoes all the way down through the corridors of time and history, and, you know, the record of the church and the world around us. People have said that over and over again. Right? You know, the Beatles thinking that they were going to be more famous than Jesus. 
There are large numbers of children alive today who don't have any idea who the Beatles are. Hard to imagine. They do not have a clue. And, and you, if you had conversations with them, and they named off the bands they're listening to, you have no idea what they're talking about. The arrogance involved in thinking like, I'm, you know, king of the universe. Great. For the moment, you got a pocket full of money, and you're enjoying yourself. Let's see where you are in a few years. You know, as some madman just walks up to you and pulls the trigger a few times, and you're all done. John Lennon. Not going to be greater than Jesus Christ. He didn't fall down for three days, and three days later, get up and say, wow, that really hurt. You don't have eternal life contained within your own person that you can impart to everyone else. The arrogance that is involved. The Lord is saying, this is my priesthood. These are my priests. This is how I want it to be done. Would everybody shut up and stop arguing? Why? Not because he's mad, because they're missing the benefits of worship. While, while they are all, right, this is a gift. This priesthood is a gift to you. This, this tabernacle is a gift to you. My presence amongst you is a gift to you. You're going to utilize the things that I've given to you, or are you going to sit around based upon the chip that's on your shoulder and argue about why can't I just be quiet and worship? It's so silly the way that we're hung up on ourselves, and the Lord has to clarify it down to this point. Anybody tries to touch this priesthood and it doesn't belong to them, there's a death sentence that's hanging over your head. And people make a couple swipes at it, right? We get to see that throughout history. People that decide they can start taking on roles and it brings about their death. God wants his priesthood to be a blessing to the people. And it's the fact that they're interfering with the blessing and the gift that he's saying such hard things to them. The Lord spoke to Aaron here. I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings. So these offerings that were brought in, that a portion, some of the some of the offerings would have a portion that was burned to God, and that was his whole consumption. Other offerings clearly defined, they don't just get to choose. Oh, that's a good looking, you know, cow that's coming in. Let's have some of that. It's according to the ordinance for each one of the gifts. Some of the gifts were heave offerings and that they would be lifted before the Lord, but then given to the priesthood so that they could eat of it themselves. A portion would be burned to the Lord very often in those sacrifices. The Lord is telling Aaron at this point, you're the one in charge personally of officiating over the heave offering so that there's accountability so that what's being given to the person who worships and to the priest is what it's supposed to be there. Don't get to take any better for yourself. You know, you don't get to swap things around so that the priesthood's getting something better. You can be in charge of it, but it needs to be done according to what I've laid out. My heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering and every sin offering and every trespass offering, which they render to me, the people that is of Israel, shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. 
Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. And they take care of the rest of the family here as we move into the following verses. But this point that this is how they're going to receive their livelihood. Now, this is two-part. They're also going to have some fields that they can attend to. So it isn't as though God's saying, you know, these don't have to be men who are accustomed to labor. They only get these free gifts. That's not what he's saying. They have to also work. But what he's going to show us is they don't get inheritance the way the other tribes do. So they need this subsidy to not only give them the things their family are going to need each year, but also so that they don't get so burdened down with working fields that they can't attend to what needs to be taking place in the ministry. They need to be having both things. The work in their lives that keeps them from being lazy, right? rather than just receiving that free paycheck, they also have to labor, but then the recognition that there's a great deal of labor in getting this provision. You know, the butchering of the animals, the transportation of all of the grain and the fire and the wood and the ashes. And there is a lot of labor involved in here. And in the process, the Lord wants them to be taken care of physically. This also is yours, the heave offering and their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance for every. Forever, Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. That is morally clean according to the rituals laid out in the scripture. <clears throat> the idea that a person could defile themselves with sin, coming in co contact with someone who is diseased like leprous or you know, a dead body. There are ritual forms of cleanliness that the Lord wants them to continuously Maintain so everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. All the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine, of the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their hand, which they bring to me, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. Now, just so we're clear here, as the Lord is giving them all these things, He's also going to tell them how they should be tithing from what the Lord has given them also. So the priests have to have their own spiritual obedience in all of this. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. That's a sign to them, right? Because the children of Israel have their own things. Then when things are brought as sacrifice to the Lord, there are very specific mandates of what is this being brought here for? Is this a burnt offering? Then the whole thing gets burnt to the Lord. Is this a peace offering? Then a portion goes to the Lord, a portion goes to the priest, and a portion goes to the person that brought it in. It isn't, it isn't a matter of everything that is brought in, the priests just get to enrich themselves from. What Moses and the Lord are saying here is, you already have all of the particulars laid out about how these things should be handled, and make sure you're doing them according to the devout things in Israel. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem. The firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. There's a whole process that when their firstborn animal or firstborn child was born, 
that was to be given to the Lord. But here, the child was always, human beings were always to be redeemed back to the Lord. This goes back to the Passover that took place in Egypt when the Lord spared all of the firstborn amongst them as the uh, uh, angel of death passed over uh, Israel and uh, the nation of Egypt. The firstborn all died. Uh, the Lord had provided them with the sacrifice of the lamb, marking their house doorposts and lentils with the blood of the lamb, spared the firstborn in their homes. The point being here of you wouldn't have had the firstborn if it wasn't for my grace and my mercy and my provision. You also would have lost your firstborn. So every time they experience a new firstborn animal or child, it belongs to the Lord because he had spared the firstborn. So they can redeem it back to themselves and they must redeem back their children. Uh, it can otherwise be given to the Lord, but uh, human life has to be redeemed by the family. Those redeemed of the devoted things shall redeem when one month old according to evaluation he's already actually established all of these things he's just giving greater clarification to it for five shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary which is a 20 which is 20 giras the firstborn of a cow the firstborn of a sheep or the firstborn goat you shall not redeem they are holy you shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord and their flesh shall be yours just as the wave uh, breast and the right thigh are yours in the same manner of giving those sacrifices. In verse 19, all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. This covenant of salt has various depths of meaning. Uh, the salt that would be given with it lent uh, fragrant aroma when it was burned. Uh, the idea of it being a preservative, uh, salt within it. Salt actually had monetary value. Um, employers could pay you in salt. Uh, sometimes people preferred to be paid in salt because they had found certain avenues of trading with that salt that was better than even coin. So, you know, this idea that the salt there, the saltiness of the Lord, the, the, the purity, the preservation uh, is to be included with, within this. So it's a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land. This is that specific dividing of the land I was speaking about moments ago. Nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion in your inheritance among the children of Israel. And that's what the Lord wanted them teaching the people of Israel. Is that there are more important things than your homes and your fields and your possessions and your plows and your money. Here is, as a shining symbol in the midst of Israel, the entire <coughs> tribe of Levi and the leadership of the priests of Aaron were living lives that were solely dedicated to the Lord and whatever provision 
he made to them, that was their enrichment. Their enrichment was the relationship with the Lord. So they stand as the example, while all of the nation around them is given great prosperity and lands and fruitfulness and rain and harvest and just wonderful abundance. The priests have the priesthood. And they're being magnificently sustained in the midst of the nation of Israel through their service to the Lord. That's the example he wants to be the centerpiece for his nation. Right? He's put, he's put the tabernacle in the middle of the nation. He surrounded the tabernacle by the nation in the form of the cross. And he has the priesthood in the middle of that that all these people are supposed to look to and recognize that's our goal right there. Worship and knowing the Lord. <clears throat> I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Israel all the tithes in Israel as, <clears throat> excuse me, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. And again, I just really want to get that into your mind, that when they come into the land, they draw lots according to tribes, and those tribes get large tracts of land. Levites don't get any of that. What they actually get is division. Their tribes are all broken up, and a portion is put into each one of those settlements so that there are Levite priests amongst each of the tribes ministering to them. Their blessing as a nation is to be broken up and distributed amongst the whole nation so that they could be ministers. We don't think of things that way. We think about, oh, you know, broken up. I'm going to have to move away from friends and family and kids, and we're not and just, a, we were all the Levites all together, and now we're going to be distributed. That's the blessing. The breaking and the distribution is the blessing. So these are going to be a blessing to perform the work of the tabernacle. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Now in verse 25, we see the tithes of the Levites. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So they're tithing themselves on what they've received. And you and your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were a grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall offer 
a heave offering to the Lord from all the tithes which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. Of all the gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the wine press. You may eat it in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall bear no sin because of it. When you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. You shall not profane the gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. The New Testament understanding of this is very simple. That the Lord is going to take care of his ministers. If we've truly been called and anointed, you know, the, the life that Christ intends will be seen in our lives. As we minister, the Lord will sustain us. But he also holds people accountable. If, if we are abusing that, then that should be reckoned. People should be held accountable. It's an unfortunate thing that we see so much abuse going on. You know, thankfully, uh, and we just went through all of our records again this last year from the very beginning of the onset of this church. From the very beginning, we've kept very careful record of everything that has come and gone through this church. And uh, just last year, we went from 2003 when we started through all of the books line upon line for verification of where are we at? What are we doing? We found very little discrepancy in the end. That was all easily rectified. You know, take that forward to an actual accountant. They look up and say, yeah, perfect, just the way we want. You know, everyone has everything in order the way it should be. Record keeping, accountability, uh, the leadership of the church. The Lord wants it to be that his work is being done, his ministers are being cared for, but there also needs to be truth in the middle of all of that. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a pastor years ago next to his monster truck. And I just, I was astonished when it pulled in. It was taller than me, you know, duck down a little bit, walk right underneath his truck. It's stupid. You know, as we're walking around talking about it, he's proudly telling me that the rims and the tires on this truck are more than $20,000. So I finally asked, like, why? You know, this looks like a whole bunch of churches that you could build all over the world. And he said, oh, I, I had it done to minister to the young guys here in the community, you know, because I knew that'd be the only way that I could reach them. To have a truck like theirs. Not according to the scripture. Freely you've received. Freely give. You know. Enriching yourself in the process. Something wrong. With the church. And it's. Desire for. What is, how, how does the King James refer to it? The filthy lucre. <laughs> there is. This is an insidious poison. The church needs to understand God from the very beginning 
has very clear outlines as to how everybody's supposed to be taken care of. Worshippers, leaders, priests. He's got it all laid out. If we would be like Moses, right? Hear the word of the Lord very clearly. And then obey the word of the Lord very clearly. It becomes a blessing to everyone that's involved. So, let the clarity of God's word minister to you this week. And ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit. So that, like Moses, we could be men and women who had heard it. And automatically obeyed it. Make sense? Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we're so grateful for your love, what it is that you've done in our midst, the way that you're continuing to work in our hearts and minds. Please minister to us. Help us, Father. Help us to be more like you, less like ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.